How do you describe an LDS or Mormon mission in your medical school application? What's it like to live in Poland as a missionary? What's it like to be a first-year medical student at the University of Utah School of Medicine? Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. Uh, this is Dr. Chan. I've got a great guest today. I've got Susan, uh, a first-year medical student. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Susan, we're delighted to have you at our medical school. And uh, I'll just kind of turn the time over to you and let you introduce yourself. Well, my name is Susan. As Dr. Chan said, I'm a first-year medical student. I went to Brigham Young University for my undergrad. I was a neuroscience major. I did a chemistry minor and a music minor as well. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed my experience there. And in the interim, I also served a mission. So I think where'd you go? I served in Poland in the awesome. Warsaw Poland mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fantastic. But I know that there's a lot of people maybe that might have questions about that. So yeah, we'll we'll get into that. So, awesome. Um, yeah. So and then I think you grew up in Oregon, correct? I did. Okay. I grew up in a little town called Sherwood, Oregon. Sherwood. Yeah. Right. Ranked in the top ten best places to raise a family. So do they kind of do a lot of Sherwood forest activities? We or? do. We have a Robin Hood festival every year. A Robin Hood festival. It's a well, big tell deal. Me more about that. Well, a few years. Ago, my mom was knighted for her services to the city. Mm-hmm. They closed down the whole old town area of Sherwood because it was an old railway station area. And yeah, just all of the people come and sell their wares pretty much. It's it's really great. Did you ever like dress up as medieval characters? Yeah, yeah every year. Okay, all right. Well, that's kind of normal <laughs> for the culture there. It yeah. really is. Okay. We have we have a Maid Marian and a, she has a court and then there's like Robin Hood and his men and it's great. All it's right, fantastic. fantastic. Well, um, your desire to become a physician, did that start back in Sherwood? Did that kind of happened more at BYU. Where did that, where did that start? That actually, it's funny because I have no background in medicine in my family. I've always loved science. I thought, oh, I'll become a high school chemistry teacher or something because I just loved science in high school and middle school and things. Um, but it had never really crossed my mind to look into medicine until I was 18. And I was actually, my dad surprised my mom and gave us a vacation to New York City. We love New York City. And we were sitting on the subway and my mom's one of those people that just meets a person and five minutes later she knows their whole life story and they're best friends so she was talking to this woman on the subway and we got to talking to her about her career and she was actually a professor i believe at columbia medical school and she had spent most of her career as an OBGYN, serving in underserved areas throughout the world and then now was doing research and was a professor at columbia and i just listened to her talk and the more i listened i just was like oh my gosh i have to do this i just felt like I was made for it. So I looked into it and the more I looked into it, the more experiences that I had with medicine, I just knew that that's, that's what I was supposed to do. Cool. And then correct me if I'm wrong. You also had a different dream at that time too, uh, serving a mission. Yes. Um, Yes. And I was a little worried with looking at the timeline. I'm a planner. I tend to plan. mm -hmm. So I'm looking at the timeline of medical school and it was like, you know, just 12 plus years of schooling that I would need to do before I was even in my career. And so I wasn't really sure how a mission would play into that. But I met some really cool people that gave me some crazy ideas. <laughs> so I actually arranged it so I was able to serve a mission and was able to apply while I was still on my mission to kind of cut down that timeline a little bit. Yes, you had a very interesting way of applying. We'll yes, talk about that. It's, it's not the most practical. I wouldn't recommend yes. it for everyone. But. And just for you know people who may not be, you know, I think everyone's heard of LDS or Mormon missions, Mm -hmm. but for people to kind of understand those more, can you kind of explain like, how did you get picked to go to Poland? How did that process work? Did you have a voice in that? So pretty much what happens is that my, was I a junior? Yeah, it was my junior year at Brigham Young University. 
I just sent in some papers saying I'd like to serve a mission. I am available after this and this date. And I just put the very end of winter semester that year just um, to try and get going as quickly as possible. And then those papers are sent to church headquarters. And then one of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles sits down and he prays about it. And then we believe it's by revelation that we're called. And so I had no idea where I was going. I didn't even know when I was going. So you didn't speak Polish. I did not speak Polish. The only thing I knew was that I was going to be called on a mission at some point in the future to serve for a year and a half. And so I got those papers back a few months later and it said, you're going to be going to Poland. You'll be there for 18 months. You have to learn Polish. And then it said I was going to the MTC or the missionary training center where we learn Polish and things like that. I would be entering that training center on May 4th, 2011. I believe it was. All right. Exciting. Uh, yeah. So, but then the whole time you still want to go to medical school. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So talk and about the planning. Cause I think this is a fascinating story. So I had to have, cause, just, not, cause you applied to medical school while all in your mission, which is very unusual. Yes. And so what I did was that I was, so I put my papers in for my mission in December of 2010. Um, cause you can put them in, I think it was 125 days before your 21st birthday, or at least that used to be the rule. They've changed the ages now, but I put them in as soon as I possibly could. And I made a special note saying I'd like to leave as soon as possible after April 23rd, because that was the end of, of school for me. So then what I did is I kind of just prayed and crossed my fingers that that would actually happen, that they would call me at that time so that I could finish winter semester and take the MCATs before I left. And so what I did was that whole semester, I actually took a class on applying for medical school. And during that class, I was filling out the application concurrently. And so I would come to class and just ask all these questions like, where are you getting these questions from? I was like, well, I was working on this and this page of the application because most people weren't applying till the next year. But anyway, so I did, I filled out the entire 2011 application, kind of like asked all the questions that I didn't know what to do with the application. Then I started getting into the, okay, so I have my letters of recommendation, but I need them not to be released until 2012. And so I had to get special permission and some very gracious people to hold them in the pre-professional office for me and then release them the following year. And then I also took the 2011 application and I printed it all out. I made lots of notes, lots of sticky notes. I had a whole binder pretty much that was filled with this application and I gave it to my angel mother (laughs) who... (laughs) A year later, was able to just fill that in for me mm-hmm. and send it in for my we, primary applications. Because we could tell that you were in Poland, and we also know, <laughs> you know, correct me if I'm wrong, the rules on a mission yeah. do not usually allow someone to kind of, no. you know, I know there's something called P day or preparation day, but we didn't get the sense that that's what you we were doing. No, so. definitely not. Especially because on preparation day in Poland, you're running around the city like a crazy person trying to get all your grocery shopping done and your laundry, laundry done yeah. and all those things. We really honestly did not have any time. And so, yeah, it was it was a grand adventure, but okay. I'd actually I had what had happened is I'd met a doctor that had done that, and the rules were a little more lax when she did it because she mm-hmm. actually did interviews while on her mission, and she ended up at the University of Utah Medical School. Okay, so cool. yeah, that makes me feel great. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and so and then you got home off your mission, and didn't you interview with us like within the same week? Well, I got home the twenty sixth of October, so it was almost a year ago, and the twenty eighth of October was my interview day. <laughs> And we, I think we kind of told you, you didn't have to do that. Yeah. But you were kind of insistent. Well, yeah. And it just, it worked out well because there was, it was funny because when I got the letters, my mom just forwarded me the email because I could get emails while I was in Poland. So she would always forward me emails, ask me questions. And then I did have a little bit of time to like fill in any information that I was missing. 
And she sent me that one, and it said, what days are you available to interview? And two of them were before October 26th, and the last one was October 28th. And so for all three of the options, I just put October 28th, October 28th, October 28th. And they're like, okay, we'll see you on October 28th. Fantastic. Well, let's talk about missions for a minute because, um, you know, I get asked a lot, you know, because like I would say about half our applicants to our medical school have served an LDS mission. Yeah. And there is still some confusion about – you know, how do I write up? How do I talk about my mission? How do I write that down in my application? And, you know, to kind of lead this conversation, Susan, like, you know, I served in a mission way back in the day. I served in France mm-hmm. and we had the white handbook. Yeah. Do you, does that still exist? Oh, yes. Okay. So, to be- and this is a great, like, this is like, you're the new generation. So, <laughs> according to the white handbook, how many hours of service are you supposed to be doing a week? Well, according to the white handbook, you serve from. Well, with us, we had, I wouldn't count language study and study time. So it was from 12 p.m. to 9 p.m., excluding two general hours. We were out on the streets. We were teaching lessons. We were knocking on doors, talking to people. So, though, at our medical school, we see that as proselyte activity. Mm -hmm. How much community service were you asked to engage in? The actual community service, um, we didn't really do that much in Poland. Okay. It was very hard to get into in that country. So. It was sort of the same in France. People yeah. are very suspicious. About yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, and so we would, go like, oh, you want to clean a park? Like, are you trying to take away someone's job? Like, yeah. like we're not trying to take away someone's job. But like, really, yeah. and so a lot of what we would do is we would go to, um, if branch members, members of the church there had friends that, you know, had something broken in their house or they needed a room painted, like, we would go do that kind of service. Okay. And so what I'm trying to get at, and you're being somewhat cooperative, <laughs> <laughs> is that um, basically most missions are not service missions. Yes, there's they're a, there's not. A big they're proselyting between, missions. So there's proselyting missions, which you and I served, which the vast majority of missions are, and then there's service missions. Yeah. You, can you talk a little bit about service missions? Do you know much about them? So service missions, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is when you're actually going and doing things like humanitarian work. Mm-hmm. And I know that they do have those in the church. People do yeah. go on service missions, but they're normal, pretty rare. They're pretty rare. And mostly it's older people, often people with mm-hmm. careers and resources go and do those. And sometimes young people can do service missions in places in the world that do not do not allow proselyte activities. Yes, that is very true. I know I have a friend that served in Mongolia, and they weren't allowed to do any form of proselyting. Mm-hmm. Everything that they did was community service. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and then they just found people that wanted to be taught through through other members of the church there. Yeah. So. so on your applications, and this is very standard, because I've interacted with a lot of different admission offices across the country, um, that when you write down community service, you should only reflect the genuine community service. Yes. Cleaning parks, working in orphanage, things like that. And yeah. that usually for most LDS missionaries, that's anywhere from two, maybe six hours a week. Mm-hmm. All right. And so yeah, a lot, I know a lot of missionaries that also serve in the United States do more community service than yeah. we did in Europe. But so what I'm trying to just to warn everyone out there against like our missions committee and other missions committees are very guarded when we see someone serving LDS mission, which we think is fantastic. And then they will look at the community service hours, and it's in the thousands. Yes, <laughs> yes. I remember actually talking about that at BYU. The pre-professional office was pretty good about warning us there, um, just that it is not community service hours, because it's it's ridiculous to count that as community mm-hmm. service hours. We've actually gone through calculators. So many. And people are com- com- cla- uh, claiming community service like while, 24-7 while they're asleep. <laughs> and I, I know, you know, I don't want to minimize the importance of an LDS mission with oh, yeah. to people, but... 
in our emissions committee, and I have several former LDS mission presidents on my committee, they're very vigilant on this point because they feel like people who do that are trying to exaggerate or oversell themselves. Well, and especially area. the way I see it is that especially as an LDS person, we truly believe that our whole life is service. I think that's why a lot of us choose to go into things like medicine mm-hmm. is because everything we do is service. So for me personally, I know that coming home from a mission, I realized that this is the real mission. This is really where we really Mm -hmm. serve, where we try to be disciples of Jesus Christ in our everyday lives. So it's kind of interesting to think of saying like, oh, well, that year and a half was this, you know, different service. I think everything we do is service, but for applications purposes, yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be a program. It's got to be something that you do that's community-based. So. Yeah. So I, I love this discussion, Susan. So let's kind of go off a tangent. I'm curious what your opinion is because there's been changes in the church policy mm-hmm. when it comes to missions. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's a year, year and a half ago, there was an announcement made that uh, men can now go on missions when they're 18 and yep. they still serve for two years. But the age is now dropped for women from 21 to 19. Yes. I'm, I'm curious. What are your thoughts about that? Well. And did you start to see any changes on the mission as a result of that? Here's the thing is they made that announcement one year ago when I was sitting in Poznan, Poland. And I actually didn't get to watch the session of general conference where that was announced because we'd gotten followed home by somebody and had to be locked in our apartment because it was creepy. <laughs> we're going ha- to swap creepy mission stories in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and anyways, so the missionaries called us, the elders, the male missionaries called us and they had gotten to watch the session like, guess what? They lowered the missionary age. I didn't believe them. I hung up the phone and called the senior missionaries because I was like, they're lying to me. <laughs> no more I lies. Was, yeah. No more lies because I know when I was 19, I wanted more than anything just to go. It was such a better time. I wasn't as far into my schooling. It was a lot more convenient with the medical school track. Mm -hmm. Um, And on top of it, I feel like sister missionaries, we're ready when we're 19. It's a good time for us to go. Um, So I was ecstatic when I found out and at the same time a little jealous. But... I think that it's it's a really wonderful opportunity for, for younger people to go and have that experience. And it's such a growing experience. And I think at the ages of 18 and 19, it can shape the rest of someone's educational and professional career, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, it creates a work ethic and a desire to serve, like I said, and just this balance mm-hmm. to to a life that I think is just a really beautiful thing. So I think it's an awesome opportunity. So you have definitely gone if you were 19. Oh yeah. That would have fit much better. In a heartbeat. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I actually asked to see if I could go early because I heard that mission president's daughters could go. I was like, oh, my dad's not a mission president, but maybe I can like convince <laughs> maybe if my dad them. gets with it and starts reading the scriptures <laughs> Yeah. More, yeah. More I could go on my go. mission when I'm 19. No. So I definitely would have gone. Again, like uh, this podcast, like uh, this is just my thoughts and opinions. My experience with sister missionaries, I mission, they were obviously just more mature. I yeah. felt that, you know, my own personal feeling about it, like they were not dressed exactly like the person right next to them. So it didn't look as strange, not not to take away what, what true, elder though. missionaries wear. We can, they we, look kind of like clones. In a yeah, 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 yeah. We definitely, I think people were a lot more open to us mm-hmm. um, because we did, we fit in a little better. And I think a lot of women, we get into different homes because if we knocked on the door of a young mother who was home alone with her child, she's not going to let in two grown men. Who are strange who are Americans. Strange Americans. Bizarre wearing, accents. Exactly. Yeah. Wearing you know identical Who's suits. and funny first name, name is both elder. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so it's especially funny in Poland because the way we say elder is starsha, which is just the adjective for older. And so people look at it and they're like, you're so young. Why is, why is your name older? They were yeah. so confused. But um, anyways, so yeah, we did. We were able to... A, a lot more people were open to us. I felt like yeah, I, I felt that, I agree. I, I felt sisters were, were were able to get into locations 
um, more safely and like like more doors, both metaphorically, figuratively, were open to them. Yeah. Um, another uh, bizarre thing is I feel that sometimes the general population. Again, I was in France, and mm-hmm. to kind of date myself here, like I was there during the whole you know Clinton. Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky theme. Everyone wanted to talk about that with me. <laughs> and then, and then the president, uh, and then, uh, and then Princess Diana passed away. Oh because, yeah. So everyone wanted to talk about that with yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because I felt as a, an elder or a brother missionary, we learned all the French swear words within the first week of hitting the country. <laughs> and then most of the sister missionaries had no idea. What, no idea. What, had no None. idea what the what the French swear words. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they don't teach those in MTC, but no, most, most no. elders learn that within the first and, week. And most sisters, you get yelled at so much. Yeah, yeah and yeah. most sisters also, yeah, I think a lot of us are a little oblivious because we don't get as much flack, but... Yeah, all right. <laughs> Great. Well, moving on. So um, let's talk about your experiences at BYU. Okay. All right. So um, how like so it's, you talked about the pre-professional office. Mm-hmm. What other organizations uh, helped you in your journey to become a physician? And so I know the pre-professional office was helpful in a lot of ways. I did run into a few walls. I think part of it was because some people didn't necessarily take me very seriously okay. that I wanted to go into medicine. And I don't think that's BYU. I just think that happens sometimes that women say they're going to do something. And people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're... Mm-hmm. You know, you're just, you're cute. You're going to get married. <laughs> like, no, really. <laughs> this isn't just some crazy thing that I decided to do yesterday. But, um, but I did feel like the pre-professional office was really helpful. I, um, never got super involved in the pre-med club. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, just never caught on f- early on at BYU. I was involved in the women in medicine club and yeah. that organization has changed a lot and changed hands a lot. I think it even has a different name now, but that actually was one of the reasons I ended up serving a mission in between all the medical school applications and things. Cause I met a female doctor who had done it mm-hmm. and that was at a women in medicine meeting. Mm-hmm. And so I know when I was involved, I really tried to make sure that female doctors were coming in to talk to the women there. Cause I don't think necessarily that medicine is the right thing for all women. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing. I don't think that necessarily serving a mission is the right thing. I think that it's something that, especially as LDS women, we really need to pray about and see if that's something that we're meant to do. And I know for me, every time I got concerned about this, that, or the other thing, like would it inhibit my ability to have a future family or things like that? I always received really strong reassurances that for me, that was the right path. And I have other friends that started out in pre-med and it wasn't the right path. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. So, um, yeah, so it was... It was an interesting journey. It was an interesting journey. It was definitely interesting. I think that I learned a lot and I learned a lot about the kind of mentor that I want to be to Mm -hmm. young women who are looking at going into medicine in the future. Fantastic. Well, let's kind of jump ahead here. Let's talk about like your path. So, you know, at at a certain point in time, we in the missions office can, can kind of see where, where all the applicants are getting into medical school with. And I think you had a big decision to make. I did. Because as we mentioned, you're from Sherwood, Oregon. Yes. And I believe you got into University of Oregon. I, I did. And in Oregon, the medical school is Oregon Health and Sciences University in Portland, Oregon. It's a fantastic medical school. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I did get it accepted yeah. there. So, uh, just, you, know, you know, for people listening to this podcast down the road who, you know, are kind of unsure of what medical school to choose, if they're fortunate enough to get into several, what helped you make your decision? Honestly, for me, um, for me, a big part of it was my interview. I, you know, had always had it in the back of my head. Oh, I'll probably end up at OHSU because that's my home. You know, I grew up 
with those hospitals. I would go every Christmas and play the harp at Dornbecker's. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, my place. And it was just so interesting because I came to the University of Utah and at my interview, I got along so well with the students. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that took us on tours were just so great and so relatable. And um, I saw how close they were as a class. And then even the interviewees, like, I could just tell that these are the kind of people I really wanted to be around. And I was extremely impressed with the doctors that I interviewed with. Um, just a very high caliber, caliber individuals. So that was my experience. I was just giddy walking out of my interview. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I can't believe I'm applying to medical school. I just, I feel so at home here. And then I went to OHSU and it is a wonderful medical school. It's um, very high ranked and especially in primary care, which is something that I'm very seriously considering going into. But it didn't feel like home. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel right. It just... Um, you know, for me, the students were older, they weren't as close, and I didn't feel like I fit in as well. And so even though I walked out of the interview still being like, woo, I'm interviewing for medical school, it was, I didn't feel that same zeal, that excitement that I did coming out of the University of Utah. So then when I got acceptance letters from both, it was, it was a very hard decision, but I feel like the more I personally prayed about it, I was given a lot of people that just told me over and over again, like, oh, I have a friend that went to U. I have a friend that went to OHSU. And almost all of them told me they're like, you would fit in so well at the U. So I think a big part of it is kind of finding your people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I've talked to a lot of residents. They said that's how they found the residency program is the minute they were there. They just that was it. Mm-hmm. They, that was their people. They knew they fit there. Yeah. Like Susan, I, very, I remember you very clearly because you tracked me down on second book day. <laughs> I did. And you apologized for leaving, and I was like, "Well, that's okay. I guess I did do a very good job." <laughs> if you're, you're taking off early from second book day, no, I but, had uh, class. You were, you were very, you were very, very nice. I just remember, like, "Oh, Susan's high quality." I, I appreciate that because, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here. So, how's it gone? Tell me about, like, tell me what life is like as a first year med student. Because a lot of people like have these ideas, or they have, they're not sure what it means. What, what's it like to be a first year? To be a first year medical student, I think if medicine is something that you are truly passionate about being a first year medical student is a ball. It's hard, but you did a lot of hard things to get to where you are. And that's how I felt is that it's, it's a lot like I did a science undergrad. And so a lot of the subject material is similar, but now it's all applied to something that I know that I want to be doing with my life. And it's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's, you know, there's days when it's hard and there's days when you feel burned out, but there's other days when you'll talk to a doctor that just makes you so excited and reminds you that you're here to do what you've been dreaming about mm-hmm. for, you know, years. So fantastic. Yeah. What, what does a typical day look for you? Like, I mean, what time do you get um, up? Do you study up here at the school or what I do is I'm usually a pretty early riser lately. I've had a little trouble getting out of bed. So <laughs> I think I've been getting a cold, but usually I'm a pretty early riser. I personally like to go running in the morning or go swimming. The pool here isn't open very early except for on Wednesdays, which is frustrating. But anyways, that doesn't have to do with medical school. So don't be put off. By <laughs> I don't, I don't have that much power to change the pool people. I, I, I have no but anyways, I do. I like to get up and start with a run. And then I usually sit down and study scriptures just for a little while. And oftentimes in the mornings, I'm the only one home at my apartment, so I'll just stay there and study. Uh, we often have extra activities in the mornings before class, because class starts at one. So sometimes I'll be going to an extra meeting or going into the clinical skills lab. But um, on a day without those sorts of things, I usually just stay home and I study. I prepare for class a little bit. And then at one o'clock, we have class and then it goes till five. But it's funny because it's as hard as it may sound to have a four-hour bl- block of class every day, it, it's mixed up. It's 
you know, one day we're doing biochem and genetics, the next day we're doing clinical skills and histology. And it's, it's always different, which is something I've really appreciated because you can kind of get lost in the monotony mm-hmm. um, of science classes. I know that I had that trouble sometimes in undergrad. But yeah, and then I think another great thing about the U is that a lot of the physicians here are extremely excited to be talking to us as medical students. They're excited to have us here. They're excited to help us get involved. They want us in their specialty, which I think is a really cool experience because they host a lot of things, interest group meetings and different things. Last night I went to the opening social interest uh, group for OBGYNs or something like that. And there was three different doctors there who were just so excited to have us. They really wanted us to be there. Um, and so that's another thing that sometimes you get to do on the side. Mm-hmm. So. And it sounds like you, you have free time to keep on playing the harp. And, yeah, you know, okay. yeah. It sounds um, like you're exercising. And, yep. Because you know. I, <laughs> I think a lot of people have this image that you're so busy in med school, you don't have time to do anything else. And I, yeah. I, I try and to tell people that's not true, but it kind no. of depends on the person about where you set that line. Well, and I think that's the thing is that your whole life you're going to be busy. You're, you're never not going to be busy, especially if you're going into medicine. So you have to learn how to find that balance. And so I know for me, my balance, the things that keep me balanced is that I exercise every day. I make that a priority because I know that I'm a more productive and, you know, whole human being if that's what I do. Um, but I think a lot of us with undergrad worked so hard to get here. We were taking you know, full course loads. We were working part-time jobs. We were doing volunteering activities and internships and every other thing on the side. So you come to medical school and now all you have is medical school. You still have the volunteering and the internships, but it's part of medical school. It's not in addition to. And so um, I don't only think it's possible. I think it's necessary to have kind of those outlets, that balance. Because if you're only doing that one thing, um, you can get burnout really fast. So Very true. Well, Susan, I appreciate you coming in. Let's end on something fun. Okay. I've been wanting to ask you this. Let's talk about mission stories. Okay. Let's talk about what is the best thing to eat in Poland and oh what was the gosh. most disgusting thing that you had to consume in Poland? Okay. Well, I'm a foodie. I love food. That's my other outlet. I love to cook and okay. I love to eat. I don't cook very much anymore, but I still eat. So, <laughs> <laughs> But Polish food is fantastic. It's really heavy. Lots of meat and potatoes and lots and lots of cabbage almost everything you eat what is about polish hot dogs or, polish hot do- or well po- the word kielbasa like prior to kielbasa okay. kielbasa is polish for sausage okay so they pretty much invented sausage in poland okay. so you just eat so uh, high quality sausage high quality so- okay. fantastic sausage but probably the grossest thing that i've had to eat in poland is this thing called kasztanka i think that's what it's called if i'm yeah kasztanka it's blood sausage and it's not actually sausage it's buckwheat that's been soaked in sheep's blood put into sausage casings and then you like slice it up and put it on a cold sandwich it's really nasty mm. <laughs> wow so, so were you were you served that a lot or did you just no people <laughs> eat it at grills and things they'll also heat it up on a grill and then put it in just a, a puka or like a little bun mm-hmm. um yeah so that that wasn't my favorite <laughs> something that's very ubiquitous in europe and i'm pretty sure poland has these two of those like you know like shawarma or doner kebabs oh yeah like those little carts they have in all the cities and, and even though like you know i'm not i'm not sure like the food inspection people are actually checking these carts but they smell so good oh my gosh and you hear the sizzling <laughs> it's been a long day and you just want a shawarma or a doner kebab yep um and then i think equivalent here would be like a yarrow sort of yeah it's hard to describe yeah, yeah it's you know they have this big piece of meat on a stick and it's roasting the whole day and they just mm. they slice off thin slices of it and put it in a in poland they put it in a buka in like a bun um, I know I lived in Romania for a while as well. I worked in an orphanage and hospital there, which mm-hmm. was awesome. But um, 
they put it in a bun and then they put cabbage and sauce. They always put cabbage and things in Poland, but they put cabbage and sauce in that. That was fantastic. We actually would have those every Friday when I was serving in a city called Wrocław. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to one of my friends about that this morning, <laughs> actually, because it was so good. We yeah. missed kebab. Yeah, the smells. And just my experience in France, like, because I served in the south of France. It used mm. to be called the Marseille Mission. Yeah. And a lot of uh, seafood. And, like, I grew up in Salt Lake City, so it's not like, you know, seafood's like red lobster to me. So, <laughs> you know, I, I go down to my mission, and then everyone's serving oysters. Yeah. And... I don't know, fruit de mer, les huit. I just remember like, and then like one of my companions told me like, oh, because I started chewing the oysters. You're not supposed to chew them apparently. You're supposed to swallow them whole. And like it leases neurotoxins if you chew them. So I'm just going like, why am I taking my life in the hand? Because this is this is very dangerous. Um, so yeah, that's anytime I think of like mission food, I think of like oysters. And, like weird. And then it, and it got to a game like, oh, ha, ha, ha. The Ameri- that American doesn't like oysters. We're going to serve him oysters and watch him squirm. What, what kind of sick game is that? So yeah. Yeah, cool. I was really lucky. Like, like we were talking about earlier, I think people like sister missionaries a little more. They loved feeding us, especially, I think that's a Polish thing is that they love, they love feeding you. And once you're welcomed in their home, they just love you like you're their own. And so we ate wonderful food. Um, a lot of it was, a lot of it was fried meat and potatoes and things, but it was delicious. My favorite thing, um, my favorite restaurants were always these kind of hole in the wall places that serve homemade pierogi, mm-hmm. which are just little like, potato dumpling type things. Oh my goodness. There was this one place in Wrocław that just, they, you could see them in the back corner, like making them by hand, sitting on an upside down bucket, making Mm -hmm. these pierogi by hand. And so stuff like that. I just, I miss all the time. It was so good. Last question. Any good Polish restaurants in Salt Lake city? In Salt Lake city. I have not found one yet. All right. If any listeners know one, email us. Yeah. uh, Let me know. I've, I've been looking for, for delis and different things like that, but it's hard to find good Polish food. I know that there is a Polish community called Razem Polska for Salt Lake city, something like that. But, um, but I've been looking for restaurants, so I would love any input if okay. people have ideas. <laughs> well, well, Susan, thanks for coming in, and I'm glad first year's going so well. Yeah. All right. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.